Welcome to Peer Pressure. Today's guest is Mike Scheidt of Yob. And you'll hear him talk about appreciating punk and metal simultaneously when growing up. Sleep and Matt Pike now and then. And working as a solo artist. His record, Stay Awake, just recently released on the Thrill Jockey label. Thanks to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast, and thanks to Liz Berg for all the other structural podcast background work. Stay tuned for WFMU. Are you there, Mike? I am. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> good. Well, thank you for, for, uh, for, for being ready and, uh, and for appearing on the show. I know that you are not on this coast, so uh, that's always a concern. <laughs> Of uh, uh, you know, I've got I've got a, a, a mondo cup of Stumptown coffee and uh, a love of metal. The two will get me through. <laughs> Excellent. And um, if you could, can you just sort of get the listeners up to speed on uh, on what's going on with you? And you've got a solo record out, so um, if you want to sort of highlight that, correct. And um, what uh, what had you? Do, is, is this your first solo record? It is. Yes. And how did that, uh, I mean, you know, when you go from being in a band in a band that's, that's well-known, um, what's the thought process into putting out a solo record? You know, I think uh, it's a couple things. I was, I mean, I played acoustic music for a pretty long time, like kind of, you know, semi-seriously. I worked at a a very high-end uh, guitar shop in Eugene, Oregon, called McKenzie River Music, and uh, the caliber of guitar we sold in there was, uh, you know, pre-World War Martin guitars, pre-World War II, uh, pre-World uh, wow. War II Gibson, um, you know, just older, really fancy, exotic incredible guitars, rarefied guitars, as well as, you know, modern, you know, classics like, you know, Callings and Santa Cruz and mm -hmm. uh, Hudson Dalton and, um, and whatnot. So uh, I was just kind of inundated <clears throat> with those kind of older guitars in particular. And then the guys I worked with, uh, uh, the shop owner, Bob November, and Dick Gunn, who's my, one of my all-time guitar mentors um right alongside tony iomi or anybody else um they taught me kind of how to play um acoustic and mm -hmm. uh you know and they were mostly into swing like you know travis Pickin, you know merle travis doc watson uh chid and jerry reed that was their what they were into and so uh um, i learned a lot from those guys so i've been playing for years but never really considered you know actually doing that um and then i kept seeing uh you know, footage from like you know, I just love like the the Woodstock <clears throat> Richie Havens performance. Like oh, I, yeah. it's something I visit often, and it just blows my mind. And then uh, Yob did a show with uh, with uh, Sleep and Scott Kelly, and Scott Kelly was uh, he was doing a solo performance, and I just remember this kind of feeling of just being just like watching him climb on stage with just an acoustic guitar in front of fifteen or eighteen hundred people, and just it scared the hell out of me not for him because he's a bona fide million year old soul who can step up there and, and make it happen um but just the thought of myself doing it was like oh my god you know how could 
how can you do that? I just, he was like a, a superhero to me at that point. And, uh, and he played a set and, and it was just the whole gamut, like people that were so into it. There's like half the crowd that talked the whole time. And so it was like literally, <laughs> I mean, that's like 800 people talking in a room with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And, and he was just such a warrior, you know, and just smiled and, and grinned, grinned it through and played his set and, and it was stunning, and I think it kind of planted a seed in me because I walked away from that just with so much respect and also uh, this feeling that, like, I could never do that, never. But as time went on, you know, I just I gravitate towards things that kind of freak me out. Ah. And, I, and it, kind of, it kind of planted the seed in me that, that, you know, that just kind of slowly started growing, and then just there came a time where I went through a, a very rough moment and uh, I just felt like I needed to express something that Yob wasn't a good vehicle for, um, and it was a very unadorned, kind of not clever, not um, no pretense, just painful stuff, and I uh, wrote a record. <laughs> I, wrote, I went and got an acoustic guitar, and literally three weeks later, I had the entire record written. Wow. And, uh, um, and that's kind of how it happened, and then all of a sudden... I told Scott that I was working on some solo stuff and a little bit later he's like, Hey, why don't you come open for me and Bob Wayne and Jay Moonley? And that was like, that right there was the beginning. So how many times have you performed acoustic uh, solo? Oh, about 10 times, roughly. Okay. okay. And, and when you say that, um, that you were scared, I know that you weren't scared by Scott's presence, but was it the vulner- no. like the vulnerability or like, well, yeah, I mm. mean, it's, I mean, I think with, I mean, I think it's something that I really want from music anyway. Um, and I, and I like to think that I'm good at, for myself of, at least if it has a, if it has a response in me, then I know it's sincere, mm-hmm. but you know, I really, um, I do like music where people are exposed. Um, and whether that be a rock band, whether that be a country band, whatever it is, you know, where there's some kind of depth to it that goes beyond the words it goes beyond the riffs and uh you know towns van zandt being a crazy awesome example of that you know so like um but i think when you're playing solo acoustic music or a solo performance or a quiet performance whatever it is i think you have to really mean it and you have to really mean it and uh you can't be just an entertainer or go through the motions. Um, you have to, you have to kind of split your chest open. And I think that's what blew me away as much as anything. And it's not that I'm not a sincere performer in Yob. I totally am. But, you know, there's, there's so much when you don't have distortion, you don't have volume, you don't have drums, you don't have any of that. And you just have to really, it feels like skydiving without a parachute. Um, you, you really, are jumping into a very intense moment and you have to do it all the way. Um, and so really just every time I perform, it, it takes a lot out of me because I just, I, I just don't see any way that I can get through it if I don't do that every time. That's what scared me is because Scott just stepped right up there and he did it. And it, I'm not, you know, I wasn't scared of his presence. I was just kind of like, just scared you know it's kind of like when you watch a movie and you know there's some horrible thing happening and it, it inspires fearing you but you're not going through it it's kind of the same thing i'm just like watching it imagining myself there just going man how do you do that um but i'm i'm finding out 
And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're just really, you're there with no, like you said, you're not hiding behind your, you know, wall of feedback or anything like that. So it is just you. And, uh, well, and yeah, you're sharing it with your brothers on stage, you mm-hmm. know, or your, you know, your bandmates. So you're, you know, it's the three of you or the four of you or the five of you on stage all together. And there's that kind of support network. And, you know, when it's you, when it's you up there, you got to, you got to dig deep, you know, and, and especially because the the real personal nature of, of the material that I play, it's uh, it's even more so that. But you know, the thing is, I mean, it's not a complaint. You know, it just is what it is. Yeah, I, mean, sure. I wouldn't do it any other way. It's just uh, it's just me growing comfortable in the medium and and growing into the medium to begin with. Right. Exactly. Is there any kind yeah. of um, is there any kind of preparation that you go through before a solo show that you wouldn't go through with Yob to go on stage? Well, no, actually, not really. I think just it, it, if anything, I just feel a little more anxiety, you know, before I play. Um, but once I get up there, I just kind of, you know, the chips fall, and and you know, it's like I have a guitar in my hand and a microphone, and and it's like, oh yeah, I do this all the time. You know, it's not any different, really. You know, and and I just really, <clears throat> as far as the ritual goes, I think I just really, in both instances. Yob or solo, I just make sure that I'm, I'm really there, you know, and that I'm really there in that moment and really, really wide awake and wide open and ready to, to make that connection. Um, that's it. And, and yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've I've you know seen Yob a number of times and it's it's really obvious that you are. I guess it's saying making the connection is is a very good description. Like, what's happening for you in real time, especially in the job performances? Because it seems to me, from being in the audience, that it's almost like the instrument is taking you over, and uh, and you're really in a in a super personal space, although you're in a performance setting. Yeah, I mean that's just what's that's what feels best to me, you know. And I love lots of different kinds of bands and lots of different kinds of performance. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, full out, you know, corpse paint and spikes and whatever. I mean, I'm, you know, I can get way into that mm-hmm. <laughs> and have a great time or, you know, bands that are real tough on stage and like, yeah, they're, you know, we're tough. And, and I can get behind that and get super into it or, you know, punk bands that are just letting it all go and just every single bit of angst and anger and frustration. And, and I can get behind that too. And I'm, I grew up with all of that. Um, I've just found that for me, when I climb on stage, I just am very much into the concept of, of definitely being a performer, um, not necessarily thinking of myself as an entertainer, um, just mm. rather thinking of it as all these people are here. How do we how do we make this environment a completely shared one? You know, where it's not dudes on stage and people in the crowd. It's it's an environment that we're feeding off of each other and um, and something that's very intentional and awake, you know, not being afraid to make eye contact, not being afraid to to have an interaction that's that's very, you know, sincere, you know, and whoever climbs on board, we can we can have that interaction and that's <clears throat> that's way more interesting to me for myself. You know, I want to I want the whole room and us to be a, a single environment. That's my goal every time and that to me, you know, then I, I just, you know, it's so easy to play in that environment. You know, it's so easy just to be completely free and open wide up and 
have that shared that shared uh, good you know good time. That's great, and it com- it completely comes across sort of like the shared environment. Com- absolutely successful, a hundred percent. The goal, well, every you know. Time. And thanks yeah. for that, though, because really, it's like you know, sometimes you see a show, and you do see a show. And there yep. and there may not be any connection, and that you know may or may not be. I mean, there's certain bands that are known for it, and certain bands that aren't. And bands that are known for their shows do very well on a different level. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, Municipal Waste is oh, a yeah. really rad example of a band that's like totally fun, mm-hmm. but totally connected. Yeah. Like absolutely. They're they're so connected with what their crowd is doing in each moment, and people have such a good time. I mean, that's like oh, a really yeah. great example of a band that. That like is totally like I I just get blown away by bands that are that good at that you know that aren't just putting on this killer show and kind of being like yeah we're awesome it's like yeah we're awesome you guys are awesome we're all awesome right now <laughs> I know and they're in the crowd half the time also yeah that's right yeah so it's and you know and I grew up with that too I mean it's I mean I grew up going to punk shows and being in the crowd and and being on the stage and off the stage and on the stage and off the stage and you know so it's uh, it's awesome that that there are bands out there that are keeping that spirit alive what was the uh, the first show that you ever went to the first one of of major consequence that really kind of was a uh, there's two actually that were like major game changers for me and they're both in 84 or 85 probably 85 one was uh, seeing motorhead and the Cro-Mags. And uh, the Cro-Mags were on the Age of Coral tour. Yep. And that really blew my mind on a lot of levels. Back then, you know, especially with, you know, Motorhead, um, they brought a very diverse crowd of, you know, metalheads, punks, skins, bikers. And in that time period, those genres did not cross-pollinate well. They didn't play well with each other. And so there's tons of friction and fights and you know, these weird kind of, it's like the movie Warriors, <laughs> factions yeah. of different looking people that were fighting each other. And I just kind of sat in the way back and just kind of watched the bands. And uh, But it, it blew my mind. I, I became like a, like very into going to shows after that. Because before then I'd seen a few concerts, but it was like the, you know, the Fairgrounds band or this and that. And there's nothing, you know, not to diss that, but it wasn't what just blew my mind as a kid. You know, what blew my mind was seeing Motorhead and seeing the Cro-Mags. Um, that blew my mind. Mm. And then I saw Metal Church oh. in 85, too. Wow. And, and that destroyed me. Um, that was, it was their first record. And then shortly after that, I mean, I saw DOA and tons of, of great punk bands. You know, No Means No. For some of us on No Means No, I think it was in 86. You know, those were, that's when just kind of a lot of things turned around for me, and I started getting a lot more involved in local, the local scene and punk scene, and started playing in punk bands myself, and started playing, you know, just started playing music all around that time. Oh, yeah. How long have you been playing guitar for? Uh, I think I started when I was 15. Okay. And but it, Yob, Yob is the first band I ever played guitar in. I was mostly a bass player uh, for a lot of years, and I wrote on guitar. Like, I was a songwriter, and I wrote on guitar, but... I wasn't, you know, I wasn't very good at it, and uh, so I just let, you know, I just had other guitar players that, you know, that would play in the band, and I would play bass and, and sing a lot of the time. We can talk about Yob all day, and, and you are here as a guest DJ, so um, I'd like to get into um, your set of music that you've chosen, and, and Mike agonized over this, you know, I give <laughs> I give the guests, you know, 45 minutes of music, and it's 
never quite enough. That's that's sort of what I what I hear. Um, uh huh. Right. <laughs> so um so would you like to introduce the first piece and tell me why you chose it? Oh, now that's uh, where you need to. Uh, you can do any order you want, and the first one on the list that you had given me was the obsessed. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, concrete cancer. Uh, Actually, I have. Or no, it's street side. Yeah. 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 Well, the obsessed. You know, I think you know, in like uh, you know, some friends of mine, we'd all go skateboarding, and uh, we'd uh, spin Metal Massacre uh, cassette. Oh yeah. And so, like the uh, Metal Massacre Six was one in particular that we like we liked a lot, and. Uh, uh, and there's always the song, it's like it's all speed metal, but then the Obsessed would come on, and uh, they would play Concrete Cancer, and that song was like where we'd all like, you know, we'd slow down, and we'd sit down for a minute, and we'd just really groove on it, and uh, so that was where I started getting to the Obsessed, um, but when, probably the album that just completely destroyed me was The Church Within, um, that album is just so... Wino's guitar playing, his singing. I mean, everyone knows he's great at both, but something about that record really, really turned me way on. I couldn't believe it. And uh, that song, Street Side, uh, and the video, the first time I ever saw the video for that song, it was, it was so weird because, you know, you didn't typically see videos from bands that were into doom. You know, they were just too small seeing a video and actually being able to see these people perform these songs just was like a, a real mind blower to me. Um, and so that, man, what a great song. It's just such a good song. Okie doke. So uh, my guest is Mike Scheidt of Yav. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, by the way? Yep, oh, you got it. Awesome. And well uh, the first song in his program set is The Obsessed with Street Side. We'll hear that and uh, stay tuned. Turn. Ronnie James Dio, who would have had a birthday just the other day. Mike, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, so my guest is Mike Scheidt of uh, Yab, who just put out a solo record, and he's programming today's set. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about the Dio-era Sabbath. Oh, man. Um I mean, the first Sabbath that I heard, I mean, I heard Dio Sabbath and Ozzy Sabbath right around the same time. Um, so I didn't have any, like, years of history with Ozzy and then going to Dio. Um, to me, it was kind of all the same. And as a result, it was both were, like, equally powerful to me. Um, I remember going out with a friend of mine, and he had a grandpa uh, that was, like, a just this super rad guy, and he, he'd always take uh, my friend out and buy him records and uh, I was hanging out with him and he looked at me he's like hey pick out a record and I was like well really and uh, so I picked out uh, uh, Black Sabbath Live Evil the double album wow. and uh, uh, <laughs> you know I was like I think I might have been like maybe 13 or something and 
that was my first Black Sabbath record that I ever owned was Live Evil, and uh, it just completely destroyed me. It blew my mind. That was my first experience with Dio. It was my first experience with uh, those songs, and uh, so it just huge impact, huge, huge, huge. I was in shop class making Black Sabbath plaques, you know, um, <laughs> like that's that's it just changed me big time. What a great friend's grandfather. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So uh, so where does Heaven and Hell stand for you in the uh, the legacy of Sabbath? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's to me it's just as important. That's where I discovered Black Sabbath. That's where I discovered Ronnie James Dio and those both of those things together. I mean, hearing that record and Live Evil too and made me return, you know, made me look at older Sabbath very quickly. Um, and then it made me follow Dio and everything that he'd done previously and then everything he did afterwards. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been listening to Heaven and Hell, Live Evil and Mob Rules for literally God, you know, almost 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, uh, their records have, have definitely stuck with me. And did you hear, uh, I, I know we were talking about the vocalist, and you being a guitar player, at what point did you really look at or listen to what Tony was doing um, on those records? I mean, was it immediate or was it sort of like as you got better at guitar? It was pretty immediate. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people that are into heavy music, certainly that music can be measured in riffs and uh, um, and in you know kind of the golden age of the solo, where that still was something that really existed and thrived in 1983. Soloists were important. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, all of that was um, was very much a huge impact on me and uh, Giant. And then before that, you played uh, Flight of Icarus. Yes, that was the first uh, the first metal record I think I ever bought was right when that came out. Close, it's within. It might have been either that or Screaming for Vengeance, but um, uh, you know I think I bought that record when I was twelve or thirteen on on cassette and uh, at Bymart, ah. and uh, <laughs> it uh, pretty much I'd never heard anyone sing like that before. Um, you know, to me, the, the major revelation was, yes, absolutely the songwriting, but the moment I heard Bruce Dickinson sing, I was just, my jaw was on the ground. I just couldn't believe somebody was that good and that powerful. And I got a lot of grief for it <laughs> for my friends that were more into punk, you know, but it, it really was a, a big deal. felt like I was a part of a, a very cool club owning that, that cassette. So did you ride the punk side and the metal side all the way through, or, or at one point, like, because you said your punk friends gave you a hard time about liking Iron Maiden. Could, yeah. Did you straddle well, you know, that I all the way? That, um, I mean, just where I was from, there just wasn't, you know, um, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a huge area. Um, so kind of all the, the kind of misfits kind of banded together and, uh, you know, against like the Hicks and, and Cowboys. And so... <laughs> Um, they're my friends. Some of my friends are way more into punk rock, and some of my friends are way more into the metal. And but we all kind of stuck together. Um, but you know, just kind of gave each other grief about the stuff that we listened to. And but you know, I kind of was definitely, definitely into both. Um, definitely into metal. Definitely into punk. Um, certainly, 
you know, Black Flag, Loose Nut, and Suicidal Tendencies, self-titled, and I mean, those those records were as important to me as, you know, early Metallica or anything else. So you left off that last set with um, Black Sabbath, and uh, let's talk about what you're going to go into the next set with. Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, once again, you know, I was a fresh, I was a fresh Sabbath fan at that point, and then they, when they did... Uh, um, Born Again with Ian Gillen, I had a similar experience, like a vocalist experience, as I did with, with Dio. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ian Gillen started singing, that was my first uh, introduction to Ian Gillen, too, was that al- album, I think it was 84, wow. maybe, that it came out. But um, when he did Screams, and those kind of high operatic kind of screams, but it was so much rock and roll in them, yeah. um, I was just... I mean, it just hit this this kind of timber that I'd never heard anyone else hit before. You know, in my you know, it just was such a unique tone, and the record itself was hard and heavy. And at the time, it was the heaviest record I owned. You know, it was like that was like the heaviest thing ever. You know, they'd kick into you know, disturbing the priest and zero the hero, and it was just so heavy. And uh, but that song trashed. I saw um, on a, a I saw the video on MTV back when they played videos and it really had a huge impact on me once again to see this band performing and to hear that singer and see Ian Gillen's delivery it was just a it was a major impact and I spun was it a live video no no it was, it was actually a produced video oh I've never um, seen it mm. yeah for for trashed no neat but that was uh, that had a major major impact and I still love it hey so my guest is Mike Scheidt of uh, Yab and uh, his new record is called Stay Awake it's a solo record that he will be um, supporting the next thing we're going to do is hear Trash from Black Sabbath Mike's Choice stay tuned And we have returned. Mike, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, some Judas Priest. Yes. Tell us how much you love Judas Priest and why why you chose that. <laughs> you know, I think uh, that song has always stuck in my mind. And that record, too, it was the first Priest I, I ever heard. I bought it. Like, you know, I bought it when it came out. And, and it just, you know, I had some, some kind of older friends that were way into Priest, and they they'd spun that record quite a bit. And and I think it was another record, kind of like uh, you know when I heard Ma- Maiden. You know, to me, it's like those were like the two, the two bands. You know, like you know the dueling, incredible guitar, and the voices. You know, that was my introduction to Rob Halford. Song "Screaming for Vengeance," when he kicks in and does that scream, it's just like, oh god, oh yeah, hello, just, oh my god, that guy's that guy's a, a giant. You know, he's a he, that's the godly voice. And you know, when I think about being a singer myself, it's like that's the stuff that like had just is such a huge impact on me aside from you know just growing up and listening to what was pop music back then which is like really incredible music you know with Steely Dan or the Doobie Brothers or you know 
Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you know, just so much great vocals. You know, my introduction to metal was kind of those guys, and man, it's still uh, just as just as awesome today as it was then. Yeah, thanks for playing that because that was really, uh, you know, I haven't listened to that song in a in a very long time, and you just, yeah, it just starts off and it's like, wow, that just made me pay attention. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those songs that, as a singer, like no matter how good you are, that's the song that, like, if you're going to approach that in, as a cover song or whatever, you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. <laughs> and would you attempt that as a cover song? Oh, well, I guess you never. One never knows. Yeah, because I, um, I, you know, and I'm not a, much of a musician, but uh, I I can't imagine even wanting to take that on. Yeah, well, you know, I played uh, when I used to play in uh, HC Mines. We did that as a cover, actually. Oh, really? But we did it, but we did it in in a B B standard, so the highs were a little more manageable. Okay. <laughs> oh. What other songs have you covered? You know, Yav doesn't have any covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we've been talking about for a long time to where now it's starting to become like we're talking about doing like, you know, like a, a set of punk covers, for example. And we're talking about doing, you know, something really fun and out of left field a little bit, you know, but still rad and just, you know, picking out like five tunes for like a, you know, a 10 minute deal, maybe, you know, after a set or, or whatever, just for fun. But um, yeah, we have never we have yet to do a cover in all the time that we've been playing live. Wow. Yeah. And um, what plans does Yab have right now? Well, we're uh, we have a tour. It's gonna be kind of a short tour. Like I think we're doing 18 shows total, and we're not getting very far east on this trip. Um, you know, it just was literally timing, and we've been gone. You know, I think after those shows, we're just gonna kind of cocoon for a while and and write. And what is the writing process like for you guys? You know, I think you know for me, you know, I mean, I've always. You know, I don't write anybody's parts, but I write the songs. So I, you know, for me, it's just I have to spend a lot of time um, waiting for the vibe and trying to find the new vibe of a record. I find that if I just sit down and play guitar, I can write riffs kind of all the time, but they don't necessarily have any magic in them, you know, or if I try to force it, 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 it doesn't necessarily do it. I mean, it would be it would be fine to record it, but it's, you know, I, I kind of like it when I feel like there's a, like an aura around the riffs that is that kind of inspiration and the flavor mm-hmm. that will be the album. And once I find that, then it's really easy at that point. Then I'm just writing stuff like crazy and it all becomes cohesive. So that's kind of the process. And then what I'll do is I'll write arrangements and I'll come up with either whole tunes or big chunks of tunes. And then we get in the jam room together and I start showing them ideas and we start trying them out. And the things that are effortless are the things that we explore. Um, If we find that we're having to work hard on an arrangement or work hard to kind of find the feeling in it then that's it's half cooked at best and we right. kind of put it back on on the, you know put it on the back burner to simmer for a while and we don't pay attention to it because you know every band has a different process and for us i think we kind of feel like it needs to be immediate like we need to be immediately stoked and the the idea has to feel good we have to feel just really inspired within a short period of time and because that's I think how it is when you listen to music you know you want to be you know sure there's going to be songs or there's going to be albums that you want to digest but there's something in the vibe or there's something in the execution that pulls you in immediately and uh at least on some level and uh if I'm not feeling that with a riff or an arrangement that it's not 
it's not something we're going to waste a lot of time on. That's that's really awesome. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that we uh, we achieve the goal, <laughs> but uh, that's you know, I mean, but we're feeling it. You know, yeah. that's what we're feeling in the rehearsal space. And if we're really stoked on what we're doing by ourselves, then we can put that on stage to some measure of yeah, being able to connect it with other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, how did you connect with Thrill Jockey for your um, solo record? Um, Nathan Carson, who uh, runs Nanotier Booking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his suggestion, and uh, wow. you know, I was talking with a couple of other labels, and uh, as far as doing like a real limited run of the album, and I was going to be doing it on my eight track, so it was going to be very lo-fi-ish. And Nate suggested, uh, he said that Thrill Jockey might be interested, and he knew that they liked Yob and went to our Chicago shows, and and I was, you know, kind of embarrassingly unfamiliar with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, famili- I was familiar with some of their bands, but I didn't make the connection from their bands to the label and uh, and like those bands. So uh, when I started talking to them in that process, I kind of became more familiar with what it is that they do and their kind of their legacy. And uh, so it became like a like, wow, OK, this is a lot more than I planned to do. But they were so amazing and are so amazing like as far as just like working with them as a label and as people they're just so so great so friendly so on top of it that i kind of felt like like no wasn't an option like i I just needed to work with these people and Mm. uh so that's kind of how it came around more or less and actually and, and jamie from thrill jockey was the one who um who did hook this up so Oh yeah. Well, thanks yeah. there for that too. Just through our conversation you've you've you know mentioned being intentional and sort of being very awake and the name of your record is called Stay Awake. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you just about that. You know, it's really kind of for me as much as for anybody else and I think, you know, if anyone else connects to that idea or concept and that's that's amazing. Um but yeah, for me it's just a matter of just trying to trying to stay aware trying to you know be uh, be present and really that's that's it i mean i could i could wax poetic about it but it's also just it's just very feet in the mud just straightforward you know just ordinary not get too caught up in what the future may hold and not get too caught up in the demons of the past and just be here got it that's cool. Hey, so a listener wrote that um, that the the song "Trashed" relates to how Ian Gillen crashed Bill Ward's car um, uh-huh. during a recording of that album, <laughs> which is just perfect for such a great song. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So then we're going to go back into another um, set, and the next song is a Cathedral song. What did you want to yeah. uh, talk about, Cathedral? You know. Um, tried to make a, a long story as short as possible, but at the time that I heard Cathedral for the first time, it was when Force of Equilibrium came out, and at that time I was pretty much just buying anything that Earache put out, so I was just a big Earache Records fan, and whatever they put out, I wanted to hear it, and um, I was a big fan of Napalm Death, Oh yes, Lamb. so, you know, Scum, and, you know, From Enslavement to Obliteration, and Mentally Murdered, and I mean, those were all really important records to me. And so hearing Lee go at the time, go from Napalm Death to Cathedral was like a, for me, it was like a screeching halt. Right. Like, wow. Mm. And I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't, I don't know what it was, but I just remember listening to the record and just kind of being not into it. 
but I had it. I ended up shortly after that album came out, maybe a year later, um, there was the, one of the Grind Crusher tours. It was, I think, maybe 92, and it was uh, Brutal Truth of touring Extreme Conditions, Carcass was touring Necroticism, Napalm Death was touring Utopia Banished, and then Cathedral was just getting ready to put out Soul Sacrifice. I went to that show, and Brutal Truth blew my mind, and then Cathedral was getting ready, and I kind of went from the front of the stage all the way to the back of the room and kind of hung out with my friends, and I, I didn't really care. I didn't. They started playing, and I went from the back of the room to the front of the stage within about 10 minutes. And uh, the five-member uh, five lineup, you know, so Griff was still in the band, Adam Lehan was still in the band. They blew my mind. They blew my mind. That was like my favorite band of the whole night. Carcass was amazing. Napalm Death was amazing. But I started writing differently after seeing that show. Um, it was like the next, because I had a really good connection to like, Oh, the obsessed and trouble and candle mass and yeah, these were like kind of the Sabbathy kind of newer bands and then but then Cathedral for me was like that that modern next wave of taking that sound and then somehow infusing something darker and more sinister in it and seeing them live really just was a big big influence, huge. Wow. That's pretty great, and and we'll have to thank uh, Lee Dorian for changing the way you write. I guess he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Those guys, Gary, you know, Gaz Jennings, and yeah. those those riffs, and that just their whole approach just was. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and especially you know j just that period in time with Lee's jump from Napalm Death, just oh yeah, completely yeah. out of left field, sort of. Yeah, it was, but you know, it's uh, it's great, very yeah. very punk. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, just to go from that to that, and just not even, you know, just didn't even care. This is my new thing, and and just went a hundred and ninety percent into it. it. Took took me a minute to catch up, but you know, that's good. Yeah, it's that's great. Usually, that's usually a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of thought, and then uh, just going with it. All right, yep. so um, we're going to hear next Commiserating the Celebration by Cathedral. My guest DJ is Mike Scheidt today, and uh, stay tuned.
And we have returned. And Mike, are you there? I am. Yes. He is still here. Rapid, solid connection. And uh, yep. so <laughs> what we were just hearing was sleep. What do you have to say about Mad Pike and sleep? <laughs> oh, man. You know, like uh, everybody else, you know, they're incredible. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, an album that when I first got it, it was another one that I bought, you know, right around the Everything Earache. Um, and at the time, I remember thinking, like, oh, it's it's kind of Sabbathy, And I kind of just, that was it. And But I had that, the song, you know, that song, Holy Mountain, that riff stuck in my head and my subconscious. And about three weeks later, I, I, spun, I spun it again and just was floored. And that was, that wall of sound heavy that they did was just and still is kind of almost second to none like they just hit a vibe and, and an immersion uh for the listener and for themselves that's just just unbelievable yeah they do they're, yeah uh... <laughs> and that song in particular that's just always i think i'll probably listen to that one forever and then did you um did you get to see them because you guys played at roadburn or were you on yeah tour? yeah yeah we've, we've been able to play with them a few times one of the high points of my life as a musician and fan was them asking for us to open for them in Portland, I think, in 2010. And I never thought I was going to be able to see them, much less play with them. And so we've played with them a few times since then, and uh, they're just, you know, I mean, what can you say? They're so great. And what's creepy is, like, they're getting better. <laughs> like, they're getting better. <laughs> they were already, like, legends. They were already, like, this awesome, but... Man, when I saw them at ATP recently, they were just, like, unbelievable. Mm. I couldn't believe it. It's pretty exciting to have a band like that come back and start writing new material and just get even better uh, than they were. Um, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, and it's great that they're getting recognition as well because I don't really know how successful, you know, they were when that uh, that record first came out. Oh, probably not would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, I think only probably recently has there been, you know, something for them that's been more like a, a concept of success, you know, as a musician, as far as, like, recognition and, and whatnot. But, yeah, they certainly deserve it. Is there, when you said, you know, it's an honor and to be asked to open for them, you know, being a, a fan and a musician, is there anybody um, out there that you would just not even know what to say to in terms of meeting a musician-wise? Wow, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, but, it's you know, it, it's funny because, like, the, the bands that undeniably would just have be that kind of honor for me um are either kind of relatively underground bands or they're bands that are or artists that are astronomically giant you know like iconic and to me it's all kind of the same so like if i was going to meet say five years ago or seven years ago you know to meet like lee dorian or matt pike and to meet like neil young or or joni mitchell or van morrison or you know to me it's like all kind of the same you know like that's all the same level of just like oh my god you know because just as far as like a an artist and being inspired and but i've met you know a lot of my heroes that i haven't met you know i've never met neil young and i i think i'd probably don't know what i would do uh, you know it's, i mean just as far as my own band it's already gone so far beyond anything i'd really ever planned for that you know i just kind of don't write off anything now i mean 
I don't know. Right, exactly. Well, that's what, that's the great thing, you know. It's like it's it's not it's sort of I don't know if it's better, but it's really cool that it hasn't been planned for and it's not a strategy and I just hear a lot of, you know, real honesty and it's about, I guess, the riff and the connection for you. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it I mean, to me it was kind of like, you know, being, you know, playing doom metal is just something that you love and it was something that was so underground and so kind of not cool really for a, a long time that kind of like, you know, winning your local, you know, softball tournament or something, you know, it's like right. it, it's really cool but still nobody knows who your team is, you know, I mean, outside of your town or whatever and that's kind of how it always felt to me and so you you don't do it for recognition, you do it because you love it and it's like you don't have a choice like something that you have to do you know the fact that fast forward 15 years or whatever and and the the style of music is getting some recognition and particularly that a fan can climb into this genre of music that's just all heart you know there's just so many people that wrote so many records that just were just dying on the tape you know like bleeding on the tape for the music Mm -hmm. Uh, you know someone in 2012 gets to jump into a pretty rich history of bands and music it's pretty pretty cool and before i go any further i want to thank you for the, for you know your own solo and for yob's contribution in, oh, in that you. you know in that genre really because it's you know what what you've given to the public and what well and it's more like you're sharing with us you know your talent it's just extraordinary you know really. uh, so i just it's you're, you're nice Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to get that in there because I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and uh, we've got a couple things we still want to get to. So yeah. um, can you introduce the next song for us? Yeah, Burning Witch, right? Mm-hmm. Secret Predictions? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I got turned on to Burning Witch kind of like everyone else, you know, from the first. You know, I mean, if you were, unless you were lucky enough to live in Seattle at the time they were playing and knew who they were, um, I think, you know, I got turned on from the first time Southern Lord put out Crippled Lucifer. And uh, to me, that was the most caustic, heavy band in the world when I heard it. I, I didn't think there's anything that could be more heavy and kind of grimy and but yet beautiful and and so intense and so slow and so this i mean there were other bands around the same time doing it it just none of them hit me as hard as burning witch did you know the way that edgy 59 would you know go from a snarl to like a like kind of almost like an angelic voice and there's a lot of singers out there that certainly have been very influenced by that and I definitely have been as well uh, very much so you know Stephen O'Malley's riffs and just everything about that band is still just a blueprint for for how you you want to talk about something with vibe crippled Lucifer I had vibe yeah. so that's what we're going to go to next uh, my my guest is Mike Scheidt and uh, we're going to hear Sacred Predictions from Burning Witch. Stay tuned.
Some neurosis there with uh, Mike Scheidt at the helm. Hello. How about those guys? Man, <laughs> what can be said? And what's and what was your first experience with neurosis, with like going into the world that is neurosis? Was it on record? Was it live? Pain of mind, actually, on mm. cassette uh, wow. from Alchemy Records. Yay. That was my first experience with neurosis. And uh, at the time, I played in a, in a hardcore band myself. It was kind of like a hardcore metal band. And I just loved that album so much that um, when they moved on, I just, I couldn't, I wasn't ready. Like, they went to Word is Law, and, and I couldn't make the leap. It was kind of like, uh, you know, the cathedral, Napalm Death, right. kind of similarity. And uh, it took me a lot of years, actually, to catch up to what Neurosis was doing. And it probably wasn't until, I can't remember exactly when, let's say mid to late 90s, I got turned on by actually uh, Yob's first bass player, Lowell. Uh, he turned me on to uh, Through Silver and Blood, and then the track we just played off of, uh, you know, Times of Grace, and uh, that blew my mind, and it took me that long to catch up, and I went, oh, okay, I'm just a moron, I get it. Um, <laughs> these guys are just light years ahead of everybody else, and their power is so much in that kind of tribal, like literally tribal, like they're a tribe. Uh, they're a tribe of people, a collective, and uh, they have such a depth in that, you know, that in in truly being a kind of a community on stage and uh, um, a very soulful community. And they're just just maybe the best live band I've ever seen. I I would tend to agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just you know, and to say live band isn't exactly descriptive although what you just said behind that but before that was was very descriptive of of what the experience is like yeah 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 just just every it kind of runs the gamut almost if you like human emotion you know and and the human experience and the the kind of a sacred experience uh as well is wrapped up in monolithic heaviness and psychedelia and when we did shows with Tool, you know, watching their live show, which was really crazy awesome, I asked each one of them, I'm like, have you heard, seen Neurosis? And none of them had. And I'm just like, man, wow. you've got to see them. You know, it's like, you have to. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only band that, that really has given you a run for the money as far as your stage show goes, and, which is a really silly comparison. I'm sure some people would cringe. But to me, just to put that much effort into a, a soulful performance and not having seen neurosis, there's just not something not right with that. Right, right. And they are from different worlds, for sure. They but, are, uh, but, you yeah. know, it's... Uh, it's well, hopefully uh, they'll listen you know. to your advice. So we are, uh, we're coming up on the end of the program, and I want to thank you very much for appearing and uh, for, for making the effort. And the last thing we're going to hear from you... Yeah, it's uh, something off my solo record, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the the title track. We've we we've sort of uh, explored and gotten a, and gotten a lot of uh, a lot of words from you already today about the record. What I'll just say to you is, um, thank you for thank showing you. up here and uh, for for putting in your time and for everything that you do for the music world. And we're gonna go out with uh, "Stay Awake" off of Mike Scheidt's solo record, which is also called "Stay Awake." Please stay tuned.
that wraps it up for today's podcast thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other background work we are WFMU